I'm in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, if you want to turn there. and Let me just uh, share again, uh, appreciate our praise team, Danny, and you guys for going to Stanton and playing last night, and all you came, and Tina for all the face painting, and uh, we want to reach our community, and, and we want to help churches reach theirs, and uh, you all have partnered with Stanton Baptist and Brother Jonathan, and so uh, thank you so much for giving your Saturday to, to help them out. And uh, thank you, church, for giving to the Liza Broadus offering. Uh, you doubled up the go of 2000 You gave 4000 and so that's awesome. And so thank you. <laughs> I told them our next challenge will be to double up our Lottie Moon giving this year. Won't that be awesome? And so uh, you got to start collecting for that, saving for that now if we're going to double that go. So uh, you all do that. We, we've got missionary on the field now and so we definitely want to support the international mission board as they take the gospel to the to the nations so i'm in colossians chapter two we're going through the book of colossians and uh this is a book about christ-centered living and uh, we want to look like christ live like christ and so i invite you to stand and uh, we're going to look at verses 16 through 23 i told somebody this is probably the the most difficult uh paragraph to preach it's about legalism and uh you know sometimes we have a tendency to want to just skip over certain things uh but god put it all in here for a reason uh and it's his church and so i figured if he put it in here he wants us to uh, to learn from it and so uh, we'll look at this this morning uh, paul writing to the church at Colossae says therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. It was Christ you died to it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." And Father, we pray today, especially today, that your spirit would help us to understand your word. Lord, we want to look more like Christ, and uh, we want to focus on growing in our faith, our relationship with Jesus, and, and not uh, ob obeying man-made rules and regulations. Uh, Lord, help us to see the difference uh, for the good of your church, uh, for reaching our community. Uh, we pray your spirit would help us today and uh, help us to apply this word to our lives. Uh, Lord, minister to the needs in this body. We know some uh, have hurts, some losses here. Some are dealing with health issues and and uh, just things going on in their families. We we pray that for a few minutes they could look to Christ and be comforted and be encouraged in their faith. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. I shared uh, in the first service some uh, some silly laws that are actually on the books in certain states. I'm going to talk about some of the silly laws that we have in our churches, uh, but before I get there, some of the laws that are, these are real laws, I didn't make these up. In Alabama, it is illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. In Alaska, it is illegal 
to, uh, this may be for Greg, it's illegal to wake up a bear for the purpose of photography, but it is legal to shoot a sleeping bear. And so shoot him if he's asleep, but don't wake him up to take his picture. In California, in San Francisco, it's illegal to wipe one's car with dirty underwear. I, that's weird. <laughs> in Hawaii, it is against the law to insert pennies in your ear. In Indiana, monkeys are forbidden to smoke in South Bend. In Iowa, state law prohibits any establishment from, char for, from charging admissions to see a one-armed piano player. In Kansas, it is illegal to practice knife throwing at any man wearing a striped shirt. In Massachusetts, it is uh, mourners at a wake cannot eat more than three sandwiches. In Mississippi, you can't kill a squirrel with a gun in a courtroom. In Pennsylvania, you cannot fire a cannon at your wedding. In Washington, it's illegal to pretend one's parents are rich. In my least favorite, in, in West Virginia, no clergy members may tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit. And last, for Kentucky, it is illegal to remarry the same man four times. <laughs> illegal and unwise, I'd say. And so, and there's more, but I'm, I'm going to stop at that. But, there, you, you know, there's, there's some jokes and we, some, some laws that are just jokes, aren't they? They're outdated. They're, there was probably a purpose for them at some times. But we laugh about those jokes, and yet sometimes in our churches, we have certain rules and expectations. And uh, we might not have them wrote down. Uh, but they, we, we expect others to keep them, and we try to uh, keep them ourselves. And, and sometimes when you grow up in church, you, you don't even recognize some of the rules there. I, somebody was telling me after the first service that they came from a Christian church, and they quickly learned some of the rules, the expectations uh, in the Baptist church. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about uh, some of those. And we're talking about progressing in our faith, being established in Christ, and uh, our spiritual progress, our spiritual growth can be stunted when we have substitutes for Christ in our lives. And so specifically, we're going to talk about three substitutes or three religious pursuits that we need to be aware of. And the first one is legalism. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or to a new moon or a, a Sabbath. And so you say, well, what's all this talk about food and festivals and diets and days? And their religion was getting hung up over certain religious observations. And so my first point this morning, if you have that on your bulletin, the first point is just leave the legalism. Leave the legalism. And some of you might get freed up a little bit this morning. But if we try to define legalism, it's, it's kind of broad. Uh, some of the key elements, legalism has strict adherence to the law. Strict adherence to the law. Uh, so this is New Testament. Paul writes in the New Testament, Jesus has come. He has died on the cross. He's rose from the grave. Uh, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And yet the church there was, was still trying to judge each other in regards to keeping the law. Paul wants to, to give the church some freedom there. And so he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. 
And so, and so we, we live in the 21st century. We, we might have some difficulty understanding some of the religious culture of the first century, uh, but we know there are certain practices. Uh, when I was in high school, which is over 30 years ago, we, we, we had fish on Fridays, kind of a Catholic tradition. And we know that during Lent, that 40 days preceding Easter, that people give up certain uh, items or certain activities, uh, that some pleasurable items uh, that they think might get in their way of their relationship with, with God. And, and that's okay. Uh, it was okay to observe some of these festivals that, that Paul deals with. It's okay unless we use it as a measuring stick uh, in regards to one's spiritual walk with God. And so Paul says, let no one judge you in those things. And so legalism is one thing. It's a strict adherence to the law. And not necessarily God's law. Often it's man's laws, man's rules that we come up with. Uh, legalism is performance-oriented. In other words, uh, one's spirituality is measured uh, by our outward conformity to certain do's and don'ts. Uh, and the most obvious problem with legalism is that grace is forgotten about. Now you think about this. Grace is God's unmerited favor. If it's unmerited, that means that we don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's not based upon our performance. And so we'll talk some more about that, but let me just make some observations about legalism and why legalism is so dangerous, why it's so dangerous in the church. Legalism is a lot like pride. You know, you can see pride in others and you can't see it in yourself often. Legalism is the same way. When others are legalistic, you say, well, they're, they're a little legalist. But we all kind of in our nature, we, we, we have some legalism in our nature and, and we tend to judge others by our standards of what is and isn't acceptable. And I, I tell people, we, we have very little tolerance for people who sin differently than we do. Are you with me? If we have a certain area where we sin, we, we don't think it's that big a deal. But when someone sins differently than we do, then we all, oh, they're, they're a sinner. Well, that's legalism. Legalism is very contagious. Uh, it, it sometimes begins when a, when a preacher has a certain hobby horse and he keeps talking about it. Or a teacher, maybe your teacher has a certain hobby horse. And listen, it'll spread like a virus in the church. Jesus' most harsh criticism was against the, the legalist or, or the Pharisees. He said in Mark 7, 6, these people, they're a bunch of talk. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he says, in vain do they worship me, teaching the, as doctrines the commandments or the rules of men. You leave the commandment of God in hold to So you make up your own rules, and you teach them as if they're from God. He's very critical of that. Legalism produces large quantities of self-righteousness and judgmentalism and condemnation. Legalism majors on guilt, and it urges us to evaluate one another's uh, relationship with God on the basis of certain standards that, that have been established by, by man. And if someone doesn't perform uh, the way that we think they should, we, we forget all about grace, and we replace it with personal judgments and condemnation. That happens in the church a lot, doesn't it? Uh, fourth, legalism makes us divisive and critical and very narrow. Uh, the, legal, the legalist thinks that everyone should live up to their standard that they have adopted. In other words, everybody needs to be like me because 
I'm, I'm, uh, I've got it figured out, and I'm most pleasing to God, and so you should be more like me. Well, that's legalism, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I've seen people that have a vibrant faith, and, and people try to evaporate their joy and their life and their enthusiasm by pouring upon them demands and rules that become burdensome, and they're not even from God. And maybe the most dangerous thing about legalism is that uh, legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. Uh, I mean, legalism pushes people away from, uh, from Jesus because he uh, offers grace. I say this, Jesus came to be a savior, not a drill sergeant. Amen? He didn't come to burden us down with rules. He came to be a savior. Uh, and so... Uh, I said we often see legalism in others and not in ourselves. I, I pray that uh, the Lord will help us to see our own legalism. I mean, I could give you all kinds of examples. I mean, there are churches, and, and you can find them on the line or on TV, and they'll spend five minutes every week talking about how the King James Version is the only Bible that you should use. That's legalism. And that women should wear pants. That's legalism. And that you ought to have a tie. That's, all of that is legalism, and some of that's very easy to identify. But for us, maybe the, the danger is for legalism to subtly come into our lives. And I'm trying to illustrate this. Uh, the illustration that I thought of this week was, was maybe raising your hands in worship. It's certainly okay to raise your hands in worship. Uh, some people like to get on their knees when they pray. All those things, those expressions of worship, they're okay if they're, uh, the, the primary aim is to, to worship God. The problem comes when, uh, when we begin to judge others by our standard. And so if I'm, if I'm a hand raiser and I, I look around and nobody else is raising their hands, I begin to think, well, nobody in this whole church is worshiping God like I am. And I begin to be angry sometimes and I begin to judge others and, and uh, belittle their worship and just because they're not doing it the way that I think they should do it. And that's how sneaky and subtle legalism can be. And it often lies under the surface of our lives. And if we're not careful, we will default to a performance-based spirituality. So I gave a, a little warning to the younger generation. You know, sometimes uh, younger generations in the youth, they might go to a conference, they might go to a church, they might go somewhere where the, the music is a little different. It's the kind of music that they like, and the, the volume is higher, and people are raising their hands and worshiping different, and they say, well, there's true worship there. And, and maybe it is, and it's okay, it's good. The, the danger is when you come back to another place, and, and their songs are a little different, and the volume is a little different, and there's no gestures. That doesn't mean people aren't worshiping. And, and to, the, to an older generation, I, I think you have to be warned that you have to be careful not to judge people by the way they look and what they wear and markings on their bodies and all that stuff. We, we have to be really careful of performance-based spirituality. Uh, and it seems like that was what Paul was hearing about the church in Colossae. And he, he also writes about it to, to the Romans and to the, those in Galatians. And so we just need to be reminded over and over that everything is by grace. Listen, church, we're saved by grace. We grow by grace. Last time we talked about this, when we were in chapter 2, verse 13, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead, and God in His grace, He saved us. He gave us this complete salvation this complete forgiveness of our sins, this complete victory, and all of it was by grace. It wasn't based upon our performance. It wasn't because they were circumcised or because we're baptized or because we're a member of the church or not because we merit anything. 
Church, it's all based upon grace. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who brings us from being spiritually dead to being alive in Christ. And so the, the food restrictions and the special diets and the observances of ceremonies and holy days, they, they all rose out of Old Testament practices, and in and of themselves, they're fine. And, and some of them were, were observed annually. The new moons were monthly, the Sabbaths were weekly, and, uh, but Christ came. And, and what we understand is that those diets and those festivals, all those things are pointing forward to Christ. And we'll study those festivals sometimes, and we'll understand better how they're all pointing us to Christ. But, but Christ came, and He fulfilled them, and, and they are shadows of the reality that was fulfilled in Christ. That's what verse 17 says. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the main thing, belongs to Christ. Hebrews 10.1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. Nothing wrong with the law, but, but they point to Christ. And so I want to say to the church, don't get caught up in man-made rules and regulations and legalism. That's a shadow. The substance is Christ. When we focus on the rules and the regulations, we're not focusing on Jesus. When I started in ministry, where I was at, they, they were pretty worried about whether or not I was going to wear a tie and suit. And uh, I didn't care to wear it, but they weren't focusing on Jesus if that was what their main focus was. And, and so, listen, don't worry about if someone has holes in their jeans. And don't even worry about if the preacher has a black belt and brown shoes on. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. If you're focusing on something other than Jesus, you're not focusing on the main thing. And uh, I, I've been told this morning that's not the way you do it. And so I'm, I'll make adjustments, and I don't want to <laughs> interfere with anybody. Some of y'all didn't even notice that, did you? Danny, you tell them when you're after church. You tell them about it. Danny's my fashion police. and uh, <laughs> Somebody said he. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the church ought to, really, we ought to talk more about what we're for and, than what we're against. There are times when we've got to make a statement that's something against the Word of God, and we ought to boldly proclaim God's truths. But, but we really ought to make a big deal of what we're for. And what we're for is the gospel of Jesus Christ, going out there and changing lives and saving people who are blinded by darkness. And we got the light of the gospel, and we should make much of that. And people need the gospel. And people are turned off by our legalism, and uh, I mean, that turns their stomach when we pour rules and regulations instead of shining the love of Christ. And so um, Jesus is not nearly as worried about how long your hair is or what version of the Bible you read or what style of music you listen to or what kind of religious experience you have. I mean, he don't even care what color your belt is. He don't care. Listen, he don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. How about that? He came to save the lost. And so he can save Republicans and Democrats. And so there's hope for everybody, independents even. <laughs> you don't, and uh, so, so we, I just want you to know we have these legalistic tendencies. We, we might not even recognize them ourselves. But let's ask God by his power to show them to us and then turn from them and leave the legalism. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, Paul says. That word disqualify means to, uh, to declare you unworthy of a prize. It's the picture of someone in a race, and you're ready to start, and you take off before the gun sounds. You're disqualified. 
Well, Paul says to, to the believers, don't let someone disqualify you based on these kind of rules and, and all that stuff. And he uses this word asceticism here in, in the ESV in verse 18. That, that word means self-denial or self-abatement or false humility. We'll, we're going to talk more about that. But here's some of the things that they were into. The, the worship of angels, uh, going on in detail about visions. Uh, so a second substitute for Christ is is mysticism. I'm going to use this word mysticism and try to explain it, but, but minimize the mysticism. It's, it's kind of the opposite of legalism. It's a, it's a uh, spiritualism. Uh, it, we have it all around us. It's, it's called New Age Movement. It's Scientology. It's all this worship of, of other things other than Jesus. It is a pursuit of deeper or higher subjective religious experience. And the main focus is on internal feelings and internal sensations and spiritual experiences. And so some in the church in Colossae, they were into visions and making contact with angels. You know, the problem with that is the Bible says we're to worship God and Him alone. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 14, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. But they were pursuing these experiences and these visions, and, and they were pursuing them apart from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God, going on in detail, it says, about visions, about things that they had seen. And so we need to be cautioned about that. I mean, many of the most popular Christian books in the bookstores today are about people's visions or near-death experiences. And, and the problem with those is, listen, Satan is a counterfeit. Y'all know that. He disguises himself, it says, 1 Corinthians 14, as an angel of light. And he can give counterfeit. Ex Listen, this is not counterfeit. If you want to read something that's not counterfeit, you get in the Word of God. And you can, and listen, you read the book of Revelations and others, you can learn about heaven. If you're into reading about heaven, then here it is, from God, inspired by the Spirit. And so we just got to be careful when others say, well, I got this vision or, or uh, whatever. Some people say, well, what's the big concern with mysticism. Well, first of all, Paul says it puffs up. Verse 18, puffed up without reason by his sensuous or his fleshly mind. People love to have the latest word from, uh, from the Lord. Uh, I hear it on TV. I, I got this word from the Lord. Well, here, Listen, if you want a word from the Lord, you open your Bible. You get lots of words and you can know that this word is from the Lord. But uh, I, I used Oral Roberts as an example when I was growing up. He, he had this dream of this 900-foot Jesus that told him to build a, a hospital, and, and uh, the listeners needed to send in their money so that they could get that thing built. And there was this spiritual pride and superiority in that. Listen, that's counter to what we find in the Scriptures when someone has an experience with God. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, uh, when he saw the Lord sitting on the throne in the year of Uzziah, died. He, when he realized that was God, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people. Of, I mean, he was humbled by that. Job, when, when God answered him in Job 42, I, he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job said, listen, I said some things that weren't true, and now I realize, and I repent of myself when I'm in your presence. Peter said, uh, uh, when he fell before the Lord, after he realized who Jesus was, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. 
And so not only does such visions puff us up, but secondly, they pull us away from God. Verse 19, not holding fast to the head. Jesus is the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit. That's the picture of the church. Jesus is the head, and it is to him that we look and we find nourishment and growth and everything that we need comes from God. That's what verse 19 says. But if you try to worship angels and, and focus on other spiritual beings, it takes your attention off of Christ. That's the, that's the hazard. And there are people today, they're trying to find out-of-body experiences and worship of angels and saints that have already departed, and, uh, but they're pulled away from Christ. And Paul warns them about being disconnected from the head. Uh, and so I think the warning for us as a church is that we've got to be careful that we're not uh, seeking some type of spiritual experience unconnected with Christ and, and that we don't get fascinated with religious emotionalism or spiritualism and all that nonsense. Our focus is, should be on Christ. He is the source of life and nourishment and vitality. And if we boast in anything, it's in Christ. All glory is to Christ, not in our experiences. And then 23, 23, if with Christ you died, and we, we did through faith, we, we died to the, that stuff. Why are you still living in it? Why are you submitting to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things perish. These aren't lasting. These are according to human precepts and teachings. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value. And so these false teachers were focusing on uh, this personal denial of, of self to curb our appetites. And, and that might sound uh, good on the surface, uh, and, and we all need some spiritual disciplines. And so don't hear me wrong, we, we need to fast sometimes, and we need to have spiritual disciplines in our lives. But they were teaching that these disciplines were necessary to have fellowship with God. And so here's the points this morning. Leave the legalism, minimize the mysticism, and thirdly, avoid asceticism. That word is in verse 23. We usually don't, we don't use that much during the week. I, I doubt anybody talked about asceticism this week. And yet here it is. What is asceticism? Well, I don't think you ask, but it's extreme self-denial. Uh, it was popular during the Middle Ages, and, and people would, uh, they would try to sanctify their souls by punishing their bodies, and they would deprive themselves of things like food and, and sleep. They, they might take a, a vial of silence, or they'd beat themselves, or they'd wear burlap, or they would uh, sleep on a concrete slab. Well, that's silly, isn't it? Uh, it is. It's silly. But they were thinking they got to do that to get closer to God. The, the, the people like the monks, they, they practiced asceticism, and they got this reputation of being more spiritual than anybody else. And if you go to a monastery, they're certainly disciplined. They get up several times during the night, and they march down to the, whatever they call that, and they sing, and, and it looks spiritual. But the problem is those rules don't come from God. They are man-made inventions. And that, that's what religion is. It's man's way, man's means of getting to God instead of following what God says is the way to get to Him, which is through His Son Jesus. Martin Luther, he, you know, he used to practice uh, asceticism in a monastery, and it was through the study of the Word that he realized that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for, for us to come 
by faith to Jesus for everything. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That, that's all that he demands. And so why should we avoid this asceticism? Well, first of all, it promotes submission to rules instead of a relationship to Christ. And uh, listen, we can't earn God's favor. Somebody here needs to hear that this morning. We can't be good enough to earn God's favor. All that we do is receive it by faith. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, I have found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. And so at the end of verse 23, Paul says that they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Having more rules doesn't abolish the appetite of our flesh. We can't force sin out of our lives simply by having more, I mean, we can't legislate morality either, can we? We need God's power working in us. It's His grace. It's not a regimen of rules and, and activities that affect life change. I like to refer to it as grace-empowered obedience. And I believe that we have to teach grace before commitment. And once we understand grace, then it will lead to commitment. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, it's Bible. Titus 2. Listen to this. 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it, this is talking about the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace has appeared, and grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's grace-empowered obedience. That means that we can't do it on our own, but with God's help and His grace, we can obey His Word, and we can look and grow in Christ's likeness. And so... We're trying to find substitutes for Christ. And the last point is just connect with Christ. That's the key. That's what I want you to understand. Uh, don't, don't try to follow man-made rules and spiritual experiences and self. Listen, those are substitutes instead of the substance. Verse 17, the substance is Christ. We've got to get connected. We've got to tell people to connect with Christ. We don't tell people to keep all these rules and then you can come to church and have no get connected to christ that's the gospel and one last statement I, I think maybe to summarize these eight verses and maybe you said we well, should have just gave us that statement and not went through all eight verses but the statement is it's not what we do but what he has done not what we do but what listen even with our best efforts of self-denial and self-discipline we're still sinners our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. And thankfully, this morning, our salvation is not dependent upon what we do, but what Jesus has done. And he's already talked about what he's done. He shed his blood. Chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. By his death, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. We can be at peace with God. We can be reconciled to God. Not based upon what Harold does, but based upon what Jesus did on the cross. He came to our rescue. He offers complete forgiveness of all of our sins. There's nothing else, church, to be done. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life I now live, church, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And notice verse 21, I do not nullify 
the grace of God. Do you know how we nullify the grace of God? By trying to earn salvation on our own. Paul says, I'm not going to nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if I could be made righteous by keeping the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, Christ died because that was the only way for us to be saved. The only way. And so Christianity is not a matter of what you do or don't do, but rather what Christ has done for you. It's not D-O, it's not do something, it's D-O-N-E. It's what he has done for us on the cross. And so this morning, I want to tell you, on the cross, Jesus paid all the price for our sins. And when he paid that price, he said, it's finished. Complete. Paid in full. Tetelestai. It's done. All you need to be saved was accomplished at the cross. And so don't look for any substitutes. Don't try to do it yourself. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that that, uh, if we have anything in our lives that we're trying to do, to please you other than trusting in Jesus, that you'll help us to see that this morning. See it as a, as a reproach against Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, I pray if there's a person here this morning who thinks that I, I've got to clean myself up or I've got to get these things. Lord, I pray they'd understand that you did everything they needed at the cross. And all they had to do is turn from their sins and believe upon Jesus and they can be saved. And Lord, as a church, as individuals, If we have any silly rules that we impress upon others, show them to us this morning. Help us not to be legalistic. Help us to be all about grace, about pointing people to the cross, inviting people to come and be saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, if there's a person here this morning who's not saved, I pray this morning that they would turn from their sins and believe, just believe, that Jesus did everything they needed on the cross. And if they'll confess you as Lord and believe in you with all their heart, they can be saved. I I pray that someone would understand how simple the gospel is this morning and that you invite them to be saved by faith. Do that this morning, Lord. Save someone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and we'll sing to the Lord. and Listen, be saved today. Not by bringing your spiritual resume but by looking to the cross where Jesus suffered and died for you. You trust Him today and you can be saved.